2: Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hold on to your wallet.
1: It looks like the Republicans have agreed on a tax plan, which will take money away from you and give it to those people at the very top of the ladder. What do you say hello, everybody, on a Thursday? Here we go. Thursday, December 14. So good to see you today, and thank you for joining us here. It is the Bill Press Show, ready to rock and roll through the headlines of the day, all the big news of the day. Uh, And we'll not only tell you what's going on, we'll give you uh, our comments and those of our guests on what it all means, and maybe most importantly of all, open up the lines for you to comment on what's going on. We love hearing from you on Twitter. At BP show. And by the way, um, I haven't seen any tweets from Donald Trump yet this morning. So the airwaves are clear. Take advantage of it. Uh, While there are a a few uh, free lanes open uh, to send us your comments today on Twitter. Uh, Some of the top stories we're hearing. Yes, indeed. uh, We heard from both uh, Doug Jones and uh, a little bit but just by video from Roy Moore yesterday uh, down in uh, Alabama. The Republicans, as I said, the House and the Senate conferees reportedly have agreed on a, uh, a plan. they got to finish up the details and make sure they have enough votes and pushing for a vote on that uh, terrible plan um, next week before Christmas, as the president wants. And believe it or not, yes, not hard to believe, Republicans are still attacking Robert Mueller and saying we need now an investigation to investigate the investigator. <laughs> This is getting to be like old Spy spy Magazine. It's too much. Anyhow, all that going on again. We want to hear from you on Twitter, at BP Show. But first...
2: This is the Full Court Press.
3: Just a couple of other stories making news. Well, Hello. you just mentioned Roy Moore. We know that Doug Jones has won that race. Well, how did he do it? Very interesting uh, tidbit here. So... 22,777 people wrote in votes for uh, whoever. Yeah, who got the write-ins? Whoever it was, right? It could have been Nick Saban, it could have been other people, and Doug Jones won by 21,311 votes. So the write-in votes could have very well been the thing that sunk Roy Moore. But here's an interesting uh, tidbit. There's a new law, a new rule in Alabama that begins this year that Alabama state law will show how the write-in votes were cast. So we will get an idea as to who, who got those yeah. write-in votes. Don't be surprised if By the way, that does get the third lot. place.
1: That's a lot of write-in votes for yeah. where there was not a write-in campaign. Right. On behalf of any particular person.
4: Well, I guess you there know. was the, the the former Marine Oh, yeah, right. Remember? That was, yeah. The yeah, hold I I I my it. beer guy? Uh, I wouldn't yeah. say it's an organized
3: effort, but there was no. a write-in. Yeah, yeah,
1: but don't hold your breath for that guy. The write-ins were probably for Nick Saban. Nick Saban. I
3: think it just shows how unpopular yeah. uh, Roy yeah. Moore was. Yes, I think
1: there were a lot these of Republicans were Republicans who, who like couldn't they... vote for a Democrat. Do you think people yeah.
4: wrote in Luther Strange? I'm sure some yes. people did.
1: Yes, yes. I'm sure some people did. Yeah. That's probably what uh, Shelby did.
3: Yeah, right. Yeah, Shelby said he, uh, he didn't vote for Doug Jones. I can guarantee you that. Hey, by the way, uh, Amazon seems to have sort of a a hold on the market when it comes to buying things online and having them shipped to you the next day. Well, that might be about to change. Target agreed to purchase a grocery delivery startup called Shipt, S-H-I-P-T, Shipt. I'd never heard of that before. I hadn't either, uh, but they bought it for $550 million. They said that they want to speed uh, speed up their rollout. Of same day shipping. In other words, if you buy something on Target because Target has so many stores around the country, shipped, this company will find a way to get it from that Target store to your house.
1: I I gotta say, I have uh, uh, you know Amazon Prime. Sure. I still can't get used to having the damn thing show up the next day. So so fast. Again, I like a little time (laughs) of anticipation. To look forward to getting something,
4: you know. You're means. in the minority on that one. Yeah, I, I know, think you're I alone. I you're am. alone on that one. That ship is sailed, i
2: On your radio, on TV, and online, this is the Bill Press Show. Yep, Roy Moore still refuses to
1: concede. He says, yeah, we're still counting votes. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's out riding sassy. Can't, can't, can't deal with reality, yeah. Uh, he ought to ride sassy into the sunset and never hear from him again. <laughs> Hello, everybody, on a Tuesday. Make it a Thursday, uh, December 14. I'm still, uh, I'm still enjoying what happened on Tuesday, uh, the 12th. Here it is, Thursday the 14th. Good to see you today, and welcome to the Bill Press Show. Great to uh, get all together again to take a look at the news of the day, what's happening here in Washington, D.C. That's where you find us, in our studio on Capitol Hill. What's happening uh, in Alabama, all across this great land of ours and around the planet. We'll bring you up to date. On the headlines of the day and tell you what it all we think it all means and look forward to hearing from you what you think about everything that's going on. You know how to do so. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Whether you're joining us online at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show, whether you uh, are watching us on Free Speech TV, pardon me, uh, or out on the great WCPT in Chicago and Indiana Talks in the great state of Indiana. We're all together on this Thursday with a lot going on. Our top stories, it looks like the Republicans have made a deal, Senate, House and Senate Republicans getting together on uh, the provisions of a final tax cut bill uh, that if they can finish up the details... Or when they do, if they can get up enough votes, we'll have a final vote on that uh, next week. Meanwhile, yes, indeed, from Alabama, uh, Doug Jones uh, being very low key and gracious in his victory, Roy Moore being very petulant in his defeat. Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general on Capitol Hill yesterday, uh, facing a barrage of hostile questions from Republicans uh, and um, getting propped up by Democrats. We have a new senator to be in waiting from Minnesota and uh, Donald Trump being called the worst president ever in our history today by someone that you might not believe. Oh, man. So let's start in Alabama. By the way, we I bet you didn't know this. I didn't. We should have seen this coming. Yeah, We should have seen this earthquake coming. Do you realize that already in 2017, before December 12th, Alabama had had 11 earthquakes?
3: Oh, wow, really?
1: This year. I didn't e- know that. 11 earthquakes. No kidding. They weren't like real big ones. They were just leading up to the big one. <laughs> there actually were 11 earthquakes. The last one, <coughs> get this, was on November 25.
3: Wait, really? I had no idea. To yeah. be fair, nine of those eleven tu- uh, earthquakes were both Scarborough touchdowns uh, yeah. when people were playing football. But <laughs> yeah, but right. I understand what you're saying.
1: Uh the last one I, I was on uh, I just I just thought I'd do a little research. Oh, no and That's I was wild. Stunned. And the last so the last one, November twenty five, was two point two on the Richter scale. Now those of us from California, we laugh at 2.2, right? You know, that's like rolling over in bed, right? I mean, that's nothing. Sure. Uh, but anyhow, it was up by, Peter, you probably know where it is, Trinity Mountain up in northern Alabama. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's centered up there. So there were 11. So the big one, of course, was on December 12. But uh, if we had only known that ahead of time, we might not have been so surprised as it came. But what was really surprising and gratifying was remember the Secretary of State said 25% turnout. No, it turned out to be a 40% turnout, which, by the way, I still don't understand why it was not 80% turnout, given all the news about this Senate race. I mean, duh, what were you doing, right, if you didn't know that everything was on the line between Roy Moore and Doug Jones. But still, 40% is great And particularly the African American turnout was incredible. And uh, the African American vote for Doug Jones, 96, 97 percent men, women, I think overall it was 96%. uh, Just incredible turnout. They really made that effort across the middle of the state, where it's that black soil, and they call it the black belt, but which is also a heavy African American population. And of course, in Selma and in Huntsville and in Montgomery and in Birmingham. Uh, the urban areas. So uh, a, a a brilliant campaign run uh, sort of under the radar uh, by Doug Jones, which even won the compliments of the president of the United States yesterday, who uh, you have to say he was magnanimous in his response, unlike what we might expect. And he did call Doug Jones and say, you ran one hell of a campaign. And look, he, so, you, know, you know, I mean, that was a thing. He's, that's what he should have done give him credit for doing it.
3: We were we were talking about this yesterday before the show. I think we we watched this campaign for a while and I don't I mean from our eyes, it didn't look like the greatest campaign until the very end. I think he yeah. pulled it together but like but as you pointed out in the show uh, before the show yesterday like maybe this was maybe he was being stupid like a fox. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe no. this was all part of the plan.
1: I think he knew that it it was all about Roy Moore. Yeah. And leave it about Roy Moore, right? Yeah, and he's just a workhorse. Right? Yeah, he's the 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 tortoise, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> By the way, yeah.
3: Politico Politico has a headline this morning that I, I think everybody should read. If you go to Politico.com dot uh, about how the next this is the headline: the next senator, Doug Jones, the next senator from Alabama would make Bernie Sanders proud.
1: Yeah, yeah. And this is
3: not a Joe Manchin type of
1: no southern yeah.
3: democrat I yeah mean, he really is out there
1: I read that early this morning so we did hear from both yesterday um doug jones uh mentioning that uh, uh we're still waiting to hear from uh, judge moore
5: i'm going to leave that to him i think that um uh, <laughs> as most people including the president believe that the people of alabama spoke uh and after elections it's a time for healing
1: yeah so pick up the phone uh, roy moore Uh, One person who did, again, pick up the phone was uh, Donald Trump.
5: He uh, congratulated me on the race that we we won. Uh, He congratulated me and my staff on the way that and the manner in which we handled this campaign and went forward. Uh, And we talked about finding that common ground.
1: And he even invited him up to the White House when he gets to Washington. He said, I'll bring you a, uh, I'll order you a Diet Coke. Uh, whether, you, whether you want one or not. Hell, or 12 you'll have 12. <laughs> All 12. Uh, and uh, Doug Jones mentioning that uh, he recognizes that the women's vote was key to his success, of course, largely because uh, of the allegations against uh, the sexual predator, Roy Moore.
5: This country uh, has a, a, a debt that we owe uh, to women everywhere who has had to endure uh, the kind of treatment at the hands of male counterparts in their workplace, uh, or customers, uh, or anyone else. So,
1: uh, meanwhile, what's Roy Moore up to? Uh, we haven't seen from, haven't seen him. Nobody has seen him. He's been in hiding. He did put out a video. Uh, he hasn't conceded yet. He put out a video yesterday saying, "I'm not going to concede
5: until." In this race, we have not received the final count to include (laughs) military and provisional (laughs) ballots. This has been a very close race, and we are awaiting certification by the Secretary of State. Yeah, right. Uh By the way, in
3: case anybody's actually worried about this, there have been multiple people who have come out and said, like, this is not going to change the
1: election. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just not. Even the Secretary of State. So, So it's not close enough that there's an automatic recount. Uh, Roy Moore could request a recount. He would have to pay for it, right? And he's dumb enough to probably try to raise some money to do that. Look, but it
3: was a close race, but it wasn't that that, that close. No, it wasn't
1: that close. It was almost two points, and uh, that's a landslide uh, in sure. politics. Sure. Uh, and I think Roy Moore did get this right. I mean, I don't think he meant it this way, but I think if you take him word for word he may have gotten right, when he's talking about the role that immorality played in this election.
5: Immorality sweeps over our land. Even our political process has been affected with baseless and false allegations, which have become more relevant than the true issues which affect our country.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the second part of it he got wrong. But <laughs> immorality does is sweeping the land. Uh, and the White House, <laughs> the immoral president, and the immorality of Roy Moore is what brought him down. Uh, I don't think he sure.
4: understands what that word means. I don't think he does. Uh, no. Uh, and, and and the the importance I of it in this right. movement Absolutely. right now, in the Me yeah. Too movement. Yeah. By the way, I want to say one thing. Beverly Young Nelson, uh, one of Roy Moore's accusers, perhaps the most well-known yearbook. accuser. Yearbook lady. Yep. Yearbook woman, yep. She was just overjoyed yesterday with Doug Jones's victory. And I, I think we need to keep in mind... Um, how brave it was for her to come forward, how courageous it was for her and other women to come forward. And uh, Uh, this uh, Doug Jones's victory, I think, is sweeter for her and those women more than anyone else.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, good, good for them. Uh, And by the way, again, all all the cries about fake news and everything. Kudos to The Washington Post. They're the ones that first came forward with those four women. And remember, Breitbart sent reporters into Alabama. They were going to disprove their stories and everything. Hmm, whatever happened to that? Actually, the more we learned about that, the more real their stories are. And to the point where everybody, just about everybody, believes them, Uh, except for Donald Trump and Roy Moore. Pretty much. Oh, and Kayla Moore. And Kayla, yeah. uh, Of course. So the question is, now, when will Doug Jones— be able to take his seat in the United States Senate, uh, not as fast as we would like. First of all, if if this were a Republican who won and they needed that Republican vote, you you bet all of these deadlines would be forgotten, and he'd be sworn in already. Uh, but the way it works in Alabama, the counties have to get their uh, their final vote totals into the Secretary of State by the deadline of the twenty second. Of December. So that's next Thursday. Now, what if they slip here, there? Well, then Christmas, everything's closed. So the final, that's when they have to be in. They, they're supposed to be in by the 22nd, but they're given a couple of days grace in case they didn't get it done. So the final, final thing is the 26th of December, which is Tuesday a week, and The very latest, then, that the state can certify once they get all the stuff in from the counties is January 3rd. So it looks like the earliest that Doug Jones could be sworn in is January 4th. Yeah. Uh, If the Senate is back then, which uh, I think they are. I'm not sure. Certainly, again, they could do it. Just all they need is get the vice president there to swear him in or anybody could swear him in. Mitch McConnell could swear him in. I think Chuck Schumer could swear him in. I don't know. So um, that's, that's important because his vote, depending on what happens next week with his tax cut bill, we'll get to that in just a second, his vote could be the determining vote uh, on that tax cut bill. Uh, I guess one final thing on, uh, on Alabama before we move on is that um, there's another big loser down there. Yeah, big loser, Roy Moore. Big loser, Donald Trump. Remember, as you pointed out yesterday, this is four in a row for Donald Trump. Up to bat, four times. Struck out four times. New Jersey governor. Virginia governor. Alabama primary for Luther Strange. Alabama general election for Roy Moore. Yeah, this guy has zero coattails. And particularly in Alabama, that he won by 28% in 2016 on the exit polls. People coming out of the exit polls. Republicans coming out after voting in Alabama. 48% say they like Donald Trump, and 48% say they don't like Donald Trump now. That's how he's fallen in 11 months in the state of Alabama. I'm old enough to remember
3: when Democrats and the media were freaking out about Democrats having to run with a very unpopular Barack Obama, Mm -hmm. whose approval rating was not... Uh, Nearly as low as Donald Trump's.
1: says He was like close to 50 all the time, high 40s maybe, maybe, but yeah, oh yeah. Donald
3: Trump? How are these Democrats going to run with Barack Obama? And if one Democrat (laughs) in a, you know, sort of a swing state said that they weren't going to campaign with Obama, they talked about the unpopularity of Obama. These Republicans next year are going to have to run with Donald Trump on some level. He is the leader of the party. And if you don't run with them, you still are going to have to answer the question about where oh, you yeah, stand on yeah, Donald yeah, Trump's yeah. very, very Abs- unpopular
1: agenda. Absolutely. No, yeah. no. He is—this is the party, the Republican Party—today is the party of Donald Trump and Roy Moore. Yeah. They endorsed Roy Moore, and they elected Donald Trump. Uh, I, I saw the other big loser down there to follow that train of thought is—complete that train of thought is Steve Bannon. Uh, by the way, I hate it that the media keeps calling him a leader of the populist wing of the party. He's not a populist. <laughs>
3: right.
1: He is a damn elitist and he is an extremist. That's right. It's, it's, it should be the establishment versus the extremist wing of the party. But Steve Bannon, who, who said this is a guy, the first one we're going to back to topple Mitch McConnell and the establishment Republicans, he and Breitbart have been making this a campaign. Uh, he with Breitbart, because he's back now at the head of it, uh, and he lost big time and really pissed off a lot of Republicans, but uh, and, and none, none better than I uh, love what uh, Steve King from New York had to say about, by the way, he does. Peter. It, Pete King, Peter King. Yeah. Peter King, what did I say? Yeah, Peter King uh, from New York. Uh, Steve King's the other crazy Republican from Iowa. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Here he is talking about Steve Bannon, Peter King. You
5: know, I was even raised, not even so much as a political issue, almost as a moral issue. This guy
1: does not belong on the national stage. He looks like some disheveled drunk that wandered onto the political stage. By the way, he really does. He wears that ugly old brown honey jacket. It's right? an
4: incredibly accurate description. Steve Bannon <laughs> has blood cells bursting <laughs> on his cheeks uh every other minute. They're called gin blossoms. Gin blossoms <laughs> and he wears about seven shirts at once. Yeah, no. <laughs> Barely ever combs his hair. Yeah. He's a mess.
1: No. He really is. Really is a mess. At any rate, uh on from from Alabama. Yeah, on the tax cuts. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I guess people are saying, well, gee, you know, it looks like good news that the Republicans agreed on tax. Well, no, it's not good news. It's not good news unless you make about $700,000 a year. I mean, so where it stands right now, reportedly, the conferees, House and Senate, have come to some agreement. They've got to button it down. They've got to fix up the details. Uh, And then they will pre- present it to the House and to the Senate for a vote perhaps as early as next week. Well, if they want to get it done by Christmas, it's got to be next week. Uh, Donald Trump yesterday uh, holding a great big kind of rally, phony thing at the White House to say about how close we are to getting this done. Here we're,
3: he is. We're very, very close to a historic
1: legislative victory, uh, the likes of which rarely has this country seen. And then Donald Trump says something. He lets, sort of lets, uh, to use Bernie's phrase, he lets the cat out of the box here. Uh, when he talks about whether or not these are tax cuts for the rich, okay, listen very carefully to what Donald Trump says.
5: I heard one of our opponents stand up the other day and say, this is for the
4: rich. They had no idea. They didn't even see the final bill. I didn't see the final bill
1: notice nobody that's the point yes donald nobody has seen the final bill the republicans who are being asked to vote for it haven't seen it donald trump hasn't seen it the democrats certainly haven't seen it and the american people haven't seen it right but this is a bill of what what we do know is and, and this is very important to understand I didn't know this until uh, a few years ago when I really got involved in, in studying one of these tax bills. Taxes cost money. Cutting taxes, rather, costs money. Taxes cost money, too. But cutting taxes costs money. It's the same as spending money because that's less money that you've got. Either you buy something with it and the money goes out, or you cut your source, your level of income, and the money is not there. This tax bill costs $1.5 trillion. Where is that money going? That money is going to big corporations and the wealthiest of Americans. How do you pay for it? You've got to pay for it. You've got to make up that, that the tr- $1.5 has to come from somewhere. Where does it come from? It comes from you and me. It comes from the middle class. As Congressman Blumenauer told us yesterday, this is the largest transfer of wealth in this country ever, From the middle, and it's going from the middle class to the wealthiest of Americans and to the big corporations. And we're paying for it because here's what they're taking away from us. I mean, they say that you're going to get a little, little, for a couple of years, you're going to get a little tax break. Yeah, but here's what middle class Americans are giving up Uh, their ability to deduct state and local taxes, uh, ability to itemize charitable deductions, uh, interest on student loans can't write that off anymore, home equity loans cap on that, uh, money that you might spend for trying to get a job, for business travel, for tax preparation, all of that which now middle-class Americans can take advantage of, gone, gone to pay for this $1.5 trillion, which adds to the national debt, and these Republicans who used to call themselves deficit hawks, now that they're in charge— They don't care. As Dick Cheney says, deficits don't matter. So this whole thing is just a giant, giant scam, and it's got about 29% public approval before people even know what's in it. Once they know what's in it, it's going to have like 10% public approval.
3: I had a uh, a really interesting conversation with my parents yesterday who are lifelong Republicans, uh, even voted for Donald Trump, and— when I was younger, they ran their own business, right? And they were able to deduct all kinds of things because they had a a, yeah. a a small business that they ran. Right, yeah. And we were talking about this tax plan that they now have a deal on, and they were appalled. And I've heard from many people, by the a way, lot who, of ru- small business. who yeah. run their own shops. You know, they know. got just a couple of employees or work for themselves. This and is re- not for you, you. You've been able to do all these deductions- for so long, and they're going to be gone. Yeah. And they're going to be gone. And you're going to, like, there are not going to be a lot of options for you. If you're a person, like, I was talking to an artist (laughs) who works for himself, sells his art online, and, like, shipping costs and all this type of stuff that you have typically been able to... Yeah. Get a deduction for it. It's gone. Right. It's going to be gone if this goes through. Absolutely. And you're going to have all these Republicans who pride themselves on being small business owners that the Republicans have been friendly to for all these years that are going to get royally
1: screwed. And once they do, so Republicans already next year, they're going to face voters in 2018 with uh, the most unpopular president in modern times. Sure. Uh, they're going to face voters having endorsed Roy Moore as their candidate for Senate in Obama, and now they're going to face voters having done nothing in 2017, controlling all three branches of government, or calling the, the, the legislative and the executive, and a little bit the Supreme Court too, but uh, the House, Senate, and the White House, and accomplishing nothing but a huge tax cut. For the wealthiest of Americans, screwing 99% of Americans. That's their—that's their, uh, what they're going to have to sell in 2018. Lots of luck.
2: He just so. let the cat out of the box, or whatever the phrase is. <laughs> or whatever yeah, the
1: phrase right. Is. I thought uh, Senator Ron Wyden from uh, <laughs> Oregon summed it up yesterday about exactly what they're doing with this bill and what it means.
2: The American people are witnessing a masterclass in how one political party relying on secrecy, distortion, and brute force, can muscle an unpopular, deficit-exploding, corporate giveaway to passage.
1: Meanwhile, yesterday, uh, on uh, Capitol Hill, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein was called up to testify, Uh, and uh, this is a Republican, uh, this is the Trump administration, Department of Justice, uh, but you would think it might be Democrats going after it and Republicans backing him up. No, it's just the other way around. Uh, Republicans led by L- crazy Lou Gohmert of Texas and uh, Jim Jordan. where's he from Georgia? Where is he from? Uh, Ohio. Ohio, right, Jim Jordan. Uh, just roasting Rosenstein, demanding uh, that uh, basically he fire Robert Mueller uh, and demanding also that there be another special counsel appointed. This is insane a special counsel appointed to investigate the FBI and Robert Mueller. In other words, uh, another investigation to investigate the investigators. That's what these Republicans are calling for. Uh, Congressman Jerry Nadler from New York put it right to Rosenstein. Do you see any reason at all to fire Robert Mueller? In testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, you said that you would only fire special counsel Mueller for good cause and that you had not seen any yet. Several months have passed since then. Have you seen good cause to fire Special Counsel Mueller? No. (laughs) In one word, in one word, absolutely not. Uh, And Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia yesterday indicating what might happen if Donald Trump were to find somebody who would fire Robert Mueller. Is he safe in his job, you think? I would hope to
5: think he's safe. If not, then... Pardon the expression, all hell will break loose. What does that mean? That means that I, I think there will be an uprising from members of both parties, knowing this is a good man. And you're taking a good man out. You must be taken out for political reasons, not for the law or the letter of the law, uh, as we, you know, we are a rule of law. That's how we, we rule each other, and we live by that. And this is a man that will enforce it. Yeah, by the way,
1: I'm shocked that he would say all hell would break loose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God.
5: Pardon the expression.
1: Pardon. To hear. A U.S. senator, you use language like that. Just... <laughs> All right. Hey, we've got a great lineup for you today. Jess O'Connell is the uh, CEO of the Democratic National Committee, uh, going to be joining us here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, a little bit later, top of the hour, uh, Pema Levy, political reporter for Mother Jones, and then uh, our own foreign policy guru, nuclear weapons guru, nuclear disarmament guru, Joe sirius from the Plowshares Fund will be along as well. So stay with us here on this Thursday edition of the Bill Press Show. Quick break. Right back. For The rich, they had no
6: idea. They didn't even see the final bill. I didn't see the final bill.
2: Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. video Bill's commentary the best clips from the show all in one place youtube.com the bill press show what do you say
1: yes indeed we're still waiting for that concession from Roy Moore down in Alabama <clears throat> we gotta have another earthquake in Alabama before we uh, hear from Roy Moore I believe uh, well he's out he's busy out riding sassy hey hello everybody on this uh, Thursday December 14 uh, it is the uh, bill press show. Uh, great to be with you again today to uh, just rush through the headlines of the day, uh, joining us uh, to help celebrate the big victory in Alabama and what it all means for Democrats looking to uh, 2018, the CEO of the Democratic National Committee, Jess O'Connell. Hello, Jess. Great morning, to see you. Though. Good to see you. Thanks so much for, uh, for coming in. And um, again, we uh, just want to help you out with your uh, holiday shopping. Not as difficult as you think. Easy enough, easy thing to do is just go to billpressshow.com, follow the link to the cow press scarves, and you can get a handwoven scarf just like this one that I'm wearing. I'm sorry it doesn't match my purple. Those of you watching on television, today, I just grab a couple of scarves and I don't always think about you know. But anyhow, I this, have that
0: a,
3: scarf. That's the that's the color the, that I wear. This, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I have that color. No, yeah. it's
1: a beautiful scarf. I think you're
0: pulling it off for, <laughs> for man or woman, Carol
1: Press. Yeah. So, uh, and again, it's not too late yet. Still got them out to you. Carol's been running to the post office. I don't know how many times a day getting those scarves in the mail for those of you who've ordered them. Uh, they're in Marie chenille or bamboo. Billpressshow.com. Follow the link, Carol Press scarves and you are in business, and you are in business today. Jess, you got a big smile on your face. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine why. It's, it's been a
0: good week. It's been a good week. Good week for America. Good week for America. Really excited about it so,
1: I think that's yeah. absolutely right and a good way to put it. It's not just Alabama. Right. This, this, this reverberates think, way beyond I
0: think Alabama. we all woke up breathing a sigh of relief. Uh, but look, that was, that was an uphill fight there, and— uh, that was uh, a lot of hard work. It was. We had a great candidate in Doug Jones, uh, and he did a lot of the hard work. I mean, one of the things he did, which I think is really important, is. Went to all 67 counties. He had conversations everywhere throughout the state. There wasn't anywhere he wouldn't go, anyone he wouldn't talk to. And I think that's been part of the strategy we've been talking about nationwide, yep. with every zip code counts. And so I think that's a really important thing. But this is exciting. It's important. Uh, it means a lot for Alabama. Means a lot for America. Means a lot for the United States Senate right now.
1: You just bury the lead for me. There are 67 counties in Alabama. <laughs> really. Yep. Yep. God, not, I didn't think it was that big of a state. Yeah, and
0: we but, flipped 10 of them that were red in this race. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we flipped 10 of them that were red. I mean, look, you guys know this. This is the first time in a quarter century that Democrats have elected a senator there. This is, uh, this the is big. The last one,
1: Hal Heflin. Yeah. Yep. Who decided not to uh, Judge. Judge Hal Heflin. Yeah. Decided not to run for re-election. Uh, then Jeff Sessions took his seat. Now we get it back. Uh, uh, curious, someone, a friend of mine from Montgomery uh, mm. told me the other day that um, so Doug Jones worked for Hal Heflin in the Senate mm-hmm. is which is where how he got to know Joe Biden
0: oh interesting uh,
1: and so the whole full circle yeah. Doug taking that seat and Joe yeah. with Joe Biden's yeah. help this time so it all came, kind of came Some together Pretty
0: good mentors there
1: huh absolutely yeah Tell us about Doug Jones by the way there's a headline in Politico this morning that uh, I must admit I don't know I've never met Doug Jones yeah. uh, we didn't you know I thought he ran a brilliant campaign. And he didn't try to make himself the center of attention because Roy Moore was stealing all the headlines in a bad way. We don't know that much about Doug Jones. Politico this morning says he's a candidate who would make Bernie Sanders proud. I mean, is he a real lefty or is he a centrist or who is he?
0: Look, I think Doug Jones and, and, you know, Tom Perez has known Doug for 20 years, too. You talk about again. Really? Yes, absolutely. uh, in uh, a lot of the civil rights work down there, voter protection, all kinds of things. Uh, down in Alabama, where huh. uh, Tom yeah. had done some uh, some legal work down there, Look, Doug Jones is terrific. I mean, a lot of people know the story about him prosecuting against the the two men and the the four African American girls who were killed. Uh, that's years I think the, and years, years, and later, years when ago. Nobody
1: gone after them. He did.
0: That's right, he did. And I think that story did get out there. But I think what people don't know is that one of the reasons I think Doug Jones really won down there. He led with his values. He didn't shy away from being a Democrat. He didn't shy away from things like standing up for the LGBT community when you had Roy Moore saying we should put gay people in jail. He didn't shy away. <laughs> told, me that
1: told me that. Yeah, that he told you that. In yeah, 2005, exactly. 2005, right?
0: That's right. I mean, you know, he didn't shy away from uh, things like uh, choice I mean look you know, uh, you know we had good people of faith that were coming out I think we're in a time where people are voting on uh, not just single issues he didn't shy away from who he is he didn't shy away from his democratic values uh, he's been a public servant his entire life as you pointed out uh, he's been working for folks and I do think uh, I do think that's what people are looking for. We're living in a time, as you guys know, where the Republicans are trying to take things away from people, whether yeah. it's health care, whether it's, you know, deductions that they use to get by. You know, they're trying to roll back all the progress that we've made. And when you think about the the history of a southern state, uh, you know, you talked about the 67 counties. There's an interesting anecdote here. Lee County and for Robert E. Lee uh, Donald Trump won that district by 24 points. Doug Jones won it by 17 this week. That's <laughs> a 41 point spread. I know. That's... In a in a county that hasn't gone for a Democrat since the Civil Rights Act in 1965. That's the coalition that Doug Jones brings together because of his authenticity, because of who he is, because he led with his values. And that's what I think makes us proud about uh, electing Doug Jones. Now, we
1: have to uh, acknowledge that we had a deeply flawed candidate in Roy Moore, even before the sexual allegations came out. But that's a fact icing on the cake. right? (laughs) Yeah. But 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 still, can we walk away from Alabama with the lesson that. Democrats can run and maybe even win anywhere.
0: Yeah. I, I think, look, we even had a deep,
1: in, Even in deep red states.
0: Absolutely. We had a deeply flawed—they had a deeply flawed candidate in, in Roy Moore, no, no question, but they have deeply flawed policies, right? I mean, this is not just about the candidates. It's about the policies. Uh, and I think what we learned in Alabama, what we learned in Virginia, too— is that Democrats know how to build a winning coalition to win. It's obviously led by African-Americans in Alabama. Mm-hmm. All, by the way, it was led by African-Americans in Virginia, too. Yeah. Uh, black women, of course, leading the way, as they always do for the Democratic Party. Uh, and we owe them more, and we need to do more to to acknowledge that. Um, but also, it was a coalition. We talked about Lee County. I mean, winning a county like that uh, is important for folks that I think uh, we were not reaching in 2016 Talk about women. Doug Jones won women by 16 points. And I think an important thing to note is he also uh, had a 20-point margin on independent women. So there were Mm. women who are paying attention to what Donald Trump and what's going on in the Republican Party right now around a lot of this sexual assault stuff. Uh, And it's impacting the suburban women, those independent women. And another, I think, part of this winning coalition is millennials. We saw that in Virginia. Uh, We saw a double digit jump for uh, Governor-elect Ralph Northam. But we also saw a a 20 point victory for uh, Doug Jones in Alabama. So this is the coalition that will take us into 2018. And I think, you know, Republicans want us to believe this is how they're sleeping at night. They want us to believe Mm -hmm. that there was just one flawed candidate and this Mm -hmm. is just one race. But we've won over 100 seats since Donald Trump was elected. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. What? (laughs) Democrats have won over 100 seats since Donald Trump was elected. Where? All over the country. Special elections, up and down the ballot. A third of them have been flips from red to blue. So 33 seats have been flipped from red to blue in deep red states, four in Oklahoma, a couple in Iowa, a couple in New Hampshire, um, all over the country. We've been winning in the South, in the heartland, on the coasts, and we've been winning at every level. So I think Republicans want us to believe that this was some terrible candidate they had nothing to do with. Uh, But the reality is, is that Democrats have been building this coalition. We're not doing it in a flashy way. We're just doing the hard work of organizing, going out, talking in communities, and it's working.
1: And so those 100 seats are state legislative Many races, of them, yeah. city council, yep. mayors. Up, I mean, and, down up, up and down the ticket. Up and down the ticket. And
0: again, the reason I can sit here and tell you that is because the DNC <laughs> has shifted its focus to make sure that we're focused on... Uh, winning elections from the school board all the way up to the presidency. And that is a new shift for the DNC. We've been focused on that since Tom Perez came on board. We've been focused on uh, investing in mayor's races. We've won a bunch of mayor's races. We just had well, that great— One
1: of them in Alabama. Right. Yeah. We
0: just had Alabama. We R- also Randall
1: just, Woodfin. Said, Randall right? Woodfin. Yeah, yeah. Randall.
0: Yeah. Uh, and we had one uh, uh, the week before in Atlanta with Keisha Lance Bottoms. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, look, we're playing everywhere, uh, and we're building these coalitions to win, uh, and we're investing, and we're doing the hard work of organizing. We're just getting back to basics. We owe voters a conversation, and we stopped having those conversations everywhere. We're doing that now. What's That's so, the-
3: so smart. Absolutely. Because, like, yeah. It's yeah. very easy to say we're going to resist Donald Trump, and Roy Moore is yeah. a bad yeah. candidate, yeah. and you know, whatever other candidate comes up, they're bad candidates, but you've got to have something to offer. You've just got to have something to offer.
0: And if you ask any one of those candidates that's won, uh, they're going to tell you the same thing that I will, which is that what people are talking about, not surprisingly, are things that impact them every single day. It's the kitchen table issues. It's It's about jobs. It's about whether they're going to take health care away. It's about what's happening with this atrocious tax bill. It's things that impact them every day. They want to be able to send their kids to a good school. They want to be able to afford either college or skills training. They want jobs of the future. They want to hold on to their health care. That's what people care about. And so all of this culture war stuff, all these other things that the Republicans are engaged in right now, that is not what Americans are focused on.
1: So what does... um Doug Jones' victory in Alabama mean for Democrats in 2018?
0: Well, I think it's uh, part of a roadmap. I think we've, you know, the other lesson I think that we've learned is— It must
1: put some bounce in your step, It puts
0: some—yes, look, this this was a much-needed win. It was a much-needed win. It was a a moral victory and a real victory, Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we needed it. Um, I think it's a great way to cap off a strong year for Democrats and a strong year for the work that we've been doing. Uh, And I also think what it does is it shows us that the entire country is in play. As we look to 2018, we have a big map. Uh, We have work to do in the Senate to defend some seats, but we have some great opportunities to pick up Senate seats in states that are not dissimilar from Alabama, where you can build a winning coalition. My home state of Arizona. You look at Nevada. I was just with Jackie Rosen last night. Uh, You have women running in these states that are working to build coalitions. So I think we've got a a, a terrific opportunity. And suddenly
1: Tennessee is in play. And
0: Tennessee. Absolutely. We've got this terrific, terrific opportunity in the Senate. You've got an incredible house map where uh, our colleagues at the DCCC and others have done a uh, a tremendous job to expand the map. You're looking at competitive 80, 85 seats. That's enormous. I mean, we have a a wealth of candidates that are running and they're candidates like Doug Moore. They're candidates that are uh, local or Doug Jones. I'm sorry, (laughs) Doug Moore. There we go. (laughs) Doug Jones. (laughs) But, But they're local to their communities and they're speaking their language. And so we're super excited about that opportunity. But look, This is uphill. We have a lot of work to do. We have a long time to go before next November, uh, and we've got to keep having conversations. We've got to keep uh, showing up with our offering. We've got to keep showing up with our vision, uh, and we'll still have to keep holding the Republicans accountable. We're going to have to do
7: both.
1: Yeah. I mean, the Senate Senate does look better, as you point out. Arizona, Nevada in play, now Tennessee Tennessee, in play with Corker retiring, uh, resigning, and uh, Phil Bradenson, the former governor, very that's popular. That's right. Yep. One every county in Tennessee is running, um, and uh, and now we got Alabama, which we never thought we would have. Right. It's terrific. So, yeah. But it's still there. Twenty. I think the last I go to twenty-three. I think Democratic seats to up and eight Republican seats.
0: Yeah. Out. No, that's so right. And looking of those, you know, the 10, math is
1: still favors the, math, the Republicans. The but math is
0: tough. Ten, and 10 of those seats are in, let's be honest, 10 of those are in states that Donald Trump won. Yes. Uh, so we like know we've Indiana got. Indiana
1: and others. Yeah. That's
0: right. We've got work to do there. We've got Claire McCaskill in Missouri that we've got to defend. We've got Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin and others. So we have some work to do there.
1: But still, with Doug Jones, uh, now the margin is one, right? Yeah, uh, and so, Winning is better. Uh, yeah. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let, yeah. let, let's
0: right. be honest. Winning is better. It and should it be feels a slogan good. <laughs> for the Democratic Party. Winning is better. Winning is better. Yeah. <laughs> Boy,
1: amen. Uh, and, and in terms of, uh, I think also, this will get, I've already, I think we've already seen it. This will really get Democrats at every level excited. Around the country, activists and donors and candidates and everybody like saying, I hey, think what we're on our way back.
0: Totally. I and Democrats are back. I think what Alabama did was it nationalized the work that's being done. Mm-hmm. I think that in some of the states that we talked about where we've had elections, people believe they see that we can win. They see that if we do the work, we get back to basics, we can win. Uh, but I believe now with Alabama, the whole country sees what's happening. Again, Republicans will have us believe that this was a one off, but it's not. We know that. That uh, Americans are fed up you know this is they're fed up with you know indecent candidates and indecent politicians and Donald Trump and Blake Fahrenheit and you know a candidate like Roy Moore um, but they're also fed up with the indecent policies they see what Republicans are trying to do they see that they don't have their back and they're looking for an alternative and it's incumbent upon Democrats to stand up uh, be clear in our values when we lead with our values we win
1: uh, the Democratic Party um, Jess uh, Jess O'Connell is with us from, not O'Donnell, (laughs) Jess O'Connell, from the uh, Democratic National Committee, CEO of the DNC. Uh, And you can always follow at Democrats.org, the good work of the DNC. Uh, One of the big issues now, uh, Nina Turner was in last week with us, Mm -hmm. talking about the recommendations of the... Unity, the Unity Commission, Commission, that's right. The Unity Commission, right, and the reforms that they've suggested in terms of superdelegates, yeah. closed primaries, caucuses, all the way down the line, which goes to the Rules and Bylaws Committee next, right? And they meet yes. in?
0: Uh, that is a great question. I believe they meet. Well, they, they definitely meet next year. It's in the first quarter. So I think it's yeah. in March
1: maybe. I, th- I, w- I was going right? to say it's
0: March as well. Yeah, okay. I think all it right. is
1: March. All right. So yep. what's going to happen to these recommendations? They would cut superdelegates by 60%. Yeah. It's going to happen?
0: Uh, you know I can't speak to what the rules and bylaw committee will do but what I can say is that Tom Perez and Keith Ellison have been out there uh, and talking about these recommendations I think that they bring uh, some much-needed reforms some much-needed transparency we want to open up this process uh, and I think that uh, we have stated that we are uh, excited about these recommendations, and we'll see what happens. Um, but I think these are good recommendations. I know the chairman thinks these are good recommendations. I think the chairman
1: and, and the vice chairman, is that uh, deputy Keith, chairman, yeah, deputy, deputy, deputy chairman. Sorry. Uh, deputy chairman I think they both not just talked about that; they both endorsed them. Correct?
0: Yeah. They, yeah. Uh, look, we think these are we think these are good. Uh, and, and there's been I, I just want to give a shout out to this commission. This has been a year, almost a year long process. Uh, again, a commission set up by uh Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders following the election and they've done some really good work. It's all been public uh you could watch it on you know c span you can you can follow along with the work that they've done uh and it's been a really thoughtful group of folks uh who care about our party. And who care about the future and how we bring more people into our party, how we make it easier to vote, uh, how we how we choose our nominees, uh, and so I think this is really important, and and we do uh, endorse that effort and those and that work.
1: Why don't you get rid of super delegates altogether? I mean, I, <laughs> maybe that's the extreme point of view, yeah. but um, it, it seems to me if this if if, if from California right, California yeah. says. We're going to vote for Ron Wyden. I mean, just pick a candidate, right? Then it seems to me the delegates from California, they're, they're, they ought to follow the will of the people. Yeah. No, why have some people who can, you know, just kind of do whatever they want, buck the party?
0: Yeah. Well, look, I think what they've come to, I I, I trust in the Unity Commission and the work that they've done, which is a lot of people who come from a lot of different vantage points on this. And I think that they've made a strong recommendation uh, to meet somewhere in the middle on that. Uh, And I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's a good sort of next step. Uh, I think we're going to have... Uh, A really robust primary season as we look to 2020. Democrats are going to field, I expect, an awful lot of candidates. We have sort of a running tally of what we, you know, guess of what we think it might be. But I think there are going to be a lot of people who run. Uh, And so where we can make fixes to the process that bring more people in, allow more candidates to have an opportunity to compete, I think that's really important. Um, uh, but I leave it to the, the good work of the DNC members and the Rules Commission to make those decisions. And
1: one other thing we've talked about and talked about with Nina too are closed primaries. This is a pet peeve of mine. I hate to keep bringing it up, but uh, I see my vision of the Democratic Party is the open arms party, the welcoming party. We want independents to come in. You know, We want people who haven't been Democrats all their life to come in and vote for our Democratic candidates, and we ought to welcome them and, and say, yeah, well, Thanks for coming on board, right? Instead, there seems to be this attitude, take New York State, where you have to be registered in New York State as a Democrat like Mm -hmm. a year before almost, or you can't vote in the Democratic primary. I think that's suicidal.
0: Yeah. I think the New York example, and there are a couple of others like that, where the the timeline just seems out of, uh, foolish, right? It just seems out of bounds. and. Uh, and meant to sort of keep people away. And I think that's something that's going to be addressed. That's absolutely one of the issues that people have talked about. Uh, You know, I think what some people might say in terms of the open primaries is uh, people feel strongly about some of this in both directions, uh, you know, in terms of being registered uh, as a Democrat to be able to participate. I think some people in some states, this isn't true of every state, but in some states I think they worry uh, that uh, there will be uh, foul player foolishness of people trying to, to tip the scales. Look, these I, are just the arguments, right, know, that, that know, some people have on these sides. I,
1: know. But, I have heard that, yeah. you know, as a former Democratic chair of yeah. California.
0: I have heard that yeah. for so long. Yeah.
1: And it's sort of like, to me, yeah. it's like oh, the Republican cries of voter fraud. Right. Yeah. They always say it. They've never proven well,
0: California's it. California's blue. Right. So yeah, in California, yeah. you don't have the same challenges that but, but, some but, but of I the mean, states might a, have where that, where that where that could be.
1: That's a claim that's never been backed yeah. up by any evidence that I've seen at all. Yeah. Uh, I, I, You know, it reminds me of people like at some exclusive golf club who say <laughs> you can only play on this golf course if you're a member of the golf course. Well, OK, I, yeah. I understand that. But I don't want the Democratic Party to be like the Congressional Country Club. Yeah. <laughs> Or like, burning tree where women aren't allowed.
6: Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> so, oh well, that's I mean, uh, well. All right, I <laughs> add that to my list. Um, yeah, look, you know, I I think what I am excited about and what I think is important as we move forward is again. I really believe this Commission has done the really hard work they've dug in in a way that you're talking about uh, and really tried to look at the entire yeah. country yeah. and where we are and I think they've made some really great recommendations the chairman is behind them deputy chairman is behind them uh, I think the members are gonna take a really hard look at this as you said in the spring uh, and I look forward to to a, a more transparent and open party because we do need to grow our party and and more important than the party building you know we just need people with our shared values to get out and vote and and, and to know more about the process. And we ought to be leading the charge on that. And I think we well,
1: will be. Well, get out and vote. But also, I mean, people are really jazzed up right now. And and not everybody, I think there are more people who've come forward to run as candidates. Yeah. A lot of them, um, tens of thousands of them through EMILY's List, your former yeah. organization. Yeah, yeah, uh, just, just doing such an incredible job. Um But not everybody can run for office. What can other people do? What are you asking? You know, there are Democrats out there who really feel pumped right now, right? They want to plug in, they want to do something how do they get involved and what can they do
0: there are so many ways to get involved and thankfully so many people are and i think first and foremost is just keep at it because it's going to require persistence it's going to require not getting tired you know our outrage meter is going to be up at our highest level every single day there's a million things to be outraged about so i encourage people to just uh practice good self-care during this time but get out there and look You can participate through the Democratic Party at Democrats.org. We have a lot of ways. I mean, one of the things that we did uh, throughout the country, but in Alabama especially, too, was we ran a whole texting program, texting out the vote, communicating with voters. In fact, it was terrific on election night as uh, we were winning All of the folks that we had texted to get out the vote were texting us back with all kinds of like, you know, excited. I mean, it was so you're building these connections. So there's a way to build connections in. It was really powerful. It's a whole new level. It's a whole new level. You can help from no matter, you know, where you are, right? Uh, But but locally is the most important. You can help via your state parties who are running uh, all Mm -hmm. kinds of programs, again, 365 days a year. We're not just getting to work in the final weeks before an election. So you can call up your local state Democratic Party right now. They'll put you to work. There are also a lot of great groups out there that are doing important work. So I, you know, look, I say pick your community. We are all fighting for shared values. Pay attention to what's happening. We're going to have a budget fight ahead that's coming. We're going to have to be uh, involved in. We're going to have a fight for DREAMers and DACA that's still coming and needs to come. Uh, We still have this tax fight ahead. It's not done yet. Uh, And keep making calls. You know, we broke the congressional switchboard on health care. Let's keep breaking it. (laughs) Um, You know, I think we just can't let the pressure up. Uh, And I know that people get tired. Tag a friend in. You need a minute? Tag a friend in and then, you know, get back at it. Uh, But again, get involved in community. Democrats are about rebuilding community around shared values. What's a party? It's a people who share values,
1: Sure. right? Sure. And the
0: democratic values are clear. We know what we stand for.
1: So it's Democrats.org, uh, and it's just it's also, some of these great organizations. We've talked to a lot of them. Our Revolution, Indivisible, Emily's List. Absolutely. You know. Um,
0: Run for something. Uh, Run for something left. is
1: another one. It's yeah. Yeah, yeah there's, there's so many out there. That's really for where, where the energy Higher is. Heights. Well, congratulations. Yeah. And thank you for a great job, and thanks for coming in today Telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks.
2: Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press
1: Show. Yep, bad news today. Bad news is uh, Republicans say they've uh, reached an agreement on a tax cut bill. That is bad news for 99% of you, unless you make over uh, $700,000 a year. Uh, Watch out. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? It's The Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us here as we boom out to you live from our studio on Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C., Joining you all across this great land of ours on this Thursday, uh, December fourteenth. Thanks so much for being with us as we um, skip through the not skip, hop, jump, run through the headlines of the day (laughs) from the uh, agreement, reported agreement between House and Senate conferees on the tax cut bill, to still reverberations all across the country from the big win of Doug Jones in Alabama on uh, Tuesday. And Republicans on Capitol Hill now demanding appointment of yet another special counsel in order to investigate the investigator, Robert Mueller. Uh, We don't know where that's going to go to help us through all the news of the day. Pema Levy joins us from Mother Jones. Pema. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Thanks for coming in. It is uh, MotherJones.com. And remember, we uh, want you not only to sit back and enjoy the show... Uh, But to uh, tell us what you think about the news of the day, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. And we'll get right into it, everything that's going on today. But first...
2: This is the Full Court Press.
1: Just
3: a couple of other stories making news. We knew that this was coming, but it is now official. Disney Uh is buying Fox. $52.4 $52.4 billion is what the deal is worth. They are buying Fox's TV and movie studios, cable entertainment networks, and international TV businesses. They, of course, are behind the Fox Network, Fox
1: News. Isn't whats is Isn't it like the New World or the... What, what? The New World Order? It's no, here. But <laughs> Robert Murdoch's... I mean, Robert Rudolph. Murdoch's company is... parent company. Uh, no, it wasn't Fox. It's
3: I'm not. I'm not sure, I'm not sure yeah. what to tell you on that. But under this deal, Fox, Fox Broadcast Networks, the Fox News Channel, the Fox Business Channel, and a few other properties will be spun off as a separate company. So the movie stuff is now under uh, Disney's watch, which Disney also owns Marvel. Fox owns a lot of comic book stuff, so they're going to sort of probably see a lot of crossovers. Now nah, it's 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 a conglomerate. Is what it is. I it's don't
1: serious. get. The, the the marriage of Disney and Fox.
3: Well, Disney is not Disney as we know it. You know what I mean? I mean, Disney is such a huge thing. When you look at like ABC and the Marvel, Marvel. stuff
4: and all yeah. that. ESPN,
3: ESPN, yeah, sure. Uh, so Disney's just a just one big giant conglomerate at this point. Uh, speaking of conglomerates, uh, radio in Norway is gone. FM radio is gone. It started yesterday. They completed a transition to digital radio. We did the story earlier this year. We had talked about how they had had this vote, and they were doing away with broadcast, FM broadcast radio, which is interesting. They they point out that digital radio is cheaper, you have higher quality, and it's easier to reach
1: more places with digital It's radio. only a matter of time before that happens here.
3: I... Tend to agree with you. I think I agree with you. I, I think it might be farther on down the line than uh, we uh, think, just because we've got so much infrastructure for it. But
1: like, I really think radio is a dying um, medium, and uh, yeah. uh, certainly. Oh, what a great place to make that
3: statement! <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, just
1: being honest, but radios as such,
3: FM radio, AM FM radio, as such, is absolutely dying.
1: You know, pretty soon you won't have a radio in your car. It's It'll true. all be, yeah.
3: Yeah, sure. your one final Good story, day. by the way. Yesterday, Minnesota Governor Mark Dayton made it official. Lieutenant Governor Tina Smith will fill Al Franken's soon-to-be-vacated Senate seat. made the announcement yesterday, said she intends to run in November 2018 to uh, complete the remaining two years of Franken's term as well.
1: There's only one hitch.
3: He hasn't retired yet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: he's still there. He said he's going to, but he hasn't yet.
2: We'll see. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is the Bill Press Show.
1: Hey, they're getting close to a tax cut deal. Uh, That may be good news for Donald Trump, but it's not good news for most Americans. Hello, everybody. On a Thursday, December 14, uh, so good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show as we boom boom out to you coast to coast uh, from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., Joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Again, don't forget to sign up while you're there. Subscribe if you're on YouTube. Uh, Joining you on Free Speech TV and on the great uh, progressive voice of the Chicago area, WCPT. Uh, Don't forget, we always want to hear from you. Send us your comments on Twitter, uh, at BP Show, as we go through the news of the day. Uh, And joining us to help us through... um, all the remaining headlines of the day, Pema Levy is political reporter for the great Mother Jones MotherJones.com. Hi, Pema. It's good to see you.
7: Yeah, great to be here. You're
1: just coming in. We've been at it uh, with all the big stories of the day for about an hour, prompting a lot of response on our uh, Twitter comments. Twitter
4: comments, Jamie? Let's actually start on YouTube. We start right. streaming live, okay. uh, YouTube.com backslash The Bill Press Show, 7 a.m. every weekday morning, Eastern Standard Time. I want to first shout out Bruce Bonnell. He sent us a super chat this morning. Uh $10 supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show and us give a little shout on the air, just uh, go ahead in the chat room on the right side of the screen. When you go on the YouTube stream, you'll see a place where you can type in a comment. Underneath that, smiley face and a dollar sign. Hit that dollar sign and send us a super chat. If you want to go ahead and support the show and be known. As far as the comments go on the YouTube chat room, volstag fifty seven. Talking about the GOP tax plan, Uh, they say it will unfortunately create the most impoverished nation nation to date. And unfortunately, the people in the House of Representatives will vote for it sight unseen. Uh, Some strong words there on the tax bill. If you head over to our Twitter page on Twitter at BP Show, that's where you can find us. We put up a poll at the start of this morning's show asking you, will the GOP be able to deliver tax cuts by Christmas want to hear the early results, Bill? I do. Uh, I
1: do, but I I'm just think yes would be how I would vote. Uh, okay, no matter
4: how bad it is, yeah, they'll do it just because they they it feel they have way. to do it. Only 29% of you say yes so far. Really? Oh. 71% of you say no that the Republicans will not be able to. Uh, get that tax plan I hope fully right. through.
7: You've got optimistic viewers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's almost like true. the
3: entire country is blinded by political party and tribalism. Gee, <laughs> gee, well,
4: One more quick comment. We haven't talked about this this morning, <laughs> and we haven't talked about it much this week, but this is incredibly important. A lot of our Twitter followers uh, reminding us, today yes. is net neutrality. Today oh, is yeah, the vote on right. net neutrality. Oh, the absolutely. FCC will decide the future exactly. of our internet, whether or not uh, they'll go ahead and get rid of those Obama-era net neutrality rules, and um, perhaps we'll see a tiered internet where you you may be soon be paying more for certain sites that you visit on the internet. The yeah. evil FCC chairman Ajit Pai is leading that vote today. Uh, so go ahead and call your uh, elected officials and tell them you do not want the FCC to roll back these Obama-era rules on net neutrality.
3: I think you just said the phrase that pays there. Obama-era regulation.
4: That's the only reason they want to do this. Yeah. Yeah, that's a
1: big deal, by the way. Yeah. It is a big deal. I think we haven't talked about it because we know that the fix is in. Yeah, uh, And um, we spent so much time making sure that Obama did the right thing, and now, yeah, of course, Trump is is undoing it. By the way, speaking of um, dates to remember, this is also the fifth anniversary of Sandy Hook. Uh, and Pema, isn't it, though, impressive and amazing How much we've done to prevent things like that happening again (laughs) since Sandy (laughs) Hook. There's just
7: been so much action. (laughs) It's just
1: disgusting. Nothing. Nothing.
7: Yeah, I think people point back to uh, this day five years ago and say that it was, you know, we didn't realize at the the time, but it was ultimately a turning point in in, uh, gun regulation because we basically had a country that saw uh, 20 children slaughtered and then we didn't do anything about it. We tried for about six months. To pass a bill um, it wasn't even a very robust bill and even that couldn't pass and I think that now people are just sort of resigned to the fact that if you if you can't pass a bill after Sandy Hook it's not gonna happen and what particularly
1: then was and is is think about it the, the debate here in Congress was not it was Democrat and Republican some uh, 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 always but on top of that the people who were really lobbying for change were the parents of the kids who were killed at Sandy Hook. I mean, they came down here and walked the halls, and it was like, how could you hear their stories and see the pictures of their kids and not identify with them and not help them? And, not, and this, this Congress did, turned its back on those parents, basically said, we don't care, go back to Connecticut. You know, I,
3: I remember uh, Sandy Hook, obviously it was only four years ago, f- five years ago, but what I remember more than the actual day of Sandy Hook was about a week later when Wayne LaPierre gave his press conference oh. where he coined the now infamous phrase, the only thing that can stop mm-hmm. a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And I remember hearing that and listening and thinking like, oh man, they're really going to put up a fight. To not get anything meaningful done on on gun control in this country, and yeah, here yeah. we are five years later, and nothing's been done.
1: I must admit, I also uh, I also remember um, maybe it was about a week later, a few days. Later, Barack Obama's address at yeah, Sandy man. Hook, where he read the, the, called out the names of all of those children one by one. I mean, man, there was not a dry eye watching on television or in the house. But you know, flash forward to just a couple of months ago in Las Vegas. And the one thing that we do have against that that is prohibited are machine guns. And yet here's a guy who found a way with this bump stock to convert a semi-automatic into an automatic. And everybody right away then said, oh, no, no, we can certainly agree on this, right? We're going to do something about this. Nothing. Nothing. And yeah. they won't.
7: Yeah. I, there, I think if uh, – I don't know how long after that, a few weeks or a month or so – uh, there was a candidate uh, for governor down in Georgia who decided to give away mm-hmm. a bump stock at a campaign rally. I mean, it just, it's sort of like, Great. you know, as soon as they find out there's another deadly weapon, they're for it. Um, and mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, the politics of this are are just, they just feel so off and so detached from reality.
1: Right. Uh, politics makes us uh, strange bedfellows, as they say. Um, uh, see, d- 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 there are kind of all kinds of surprises. I'll I tell you. Uh, a surprise that I saw when I picked up the Washington Post early this morning is on the op-ed page, um, an op-ed by George Will, known conservative, been on you know ABC News. I think he's now with MSNBC or NBC, I believe, yeah, because I see him on Morning Joe, but at any anyway, rate. But one of the strongest conservative voices, a big Reaganite, you know, Republican conservative voice in the country, out with an op-ed today saying... Donald Trump is, without doubt, the worst president in the history of the United States of America. Um, surprising, again, coming from uh, George Will. He points out, he, he left the Republican Party, I think, officially when Trump got the nomination. Yeah. But he points out yeah. one thing is the hypocrisy today where uh, that, that we saw last week, where once Al Franken's um, misdeeds became uh, public... Uh, people were talking about it and became public. That Republicans demanded that anybody who took got uh, who got any campaign money from Senator Franken, assistance from him, had to return that money right away. And yet they turned around 18 days later. Donald Trump endorses Roy Moore and orders a Republican National Committee to send him 170 thousand dollars. You know. It's just, so it it really it really has become the party of Donald Trump and Roy Moore, the Republican Party.
7: Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's it, I I was thinking I've been thinking about Donald Trump's decision to jump back in, and I think it's really funny because a lot of people are sort of trying to blame Steve Bannon for this. And clearly, Roy Moore was Steve Bannon's candidate. He went down and um, you know campaigned for him. He boosted him on his on web on his website on Breitbart. Uh, but I think that you know Donald Trump likes a political fight you know he can't resist getting in there and there were people telling him don't go in this don't get into this and and i just think he couldn't resist doing it
1: and yesterday of course he didn't say (laughs) i was wrong he says i was right from the beginning because i endorsed luther strange (laughs) because i knew from the beginning that roy moore could not win yeah (laughs) the last thing that this president is capable of doing is admitting he was ever wrong, right? Or made a mistake. I, I,
3: I'm yeah. pulling up the tweet that he wrote because it's yeah. just so wrong. The whole thing was wrong. Uh, the re- The reason I originally endorsed Luther Strange, parentheses, and his numbers went up mightily. No,
1: they, no, they, didn't. they didn't. No, they didn't.
3: <laughs> Is that I said Roy Moore will not be able to win the general election. I was right. Roy worked hard, but the deck was stacked against him. If anybody thinks the deck was stacked against Roy Moore in Alabama...
7: Also, if anyone thinks that Roy Moore worked hard. Right. Roy Moore did not work hard. I mean, that
3: tweet is wrong like five different ways. Yeah.
7: Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't, it's possible Roy Moore would have won if he had worked hard. But he literally abandoned the campaign trail in the final week. Uh, I've seen reports that he wasn't doing the type of... Uh, voter outreach that you just basically have to do today. You have to have a list of voters. You have to be able to give them to your local parties chapters so that they can contact people. You have to have this ground game and the Jones campaign was doing it and their allies were doing it and his campaign was just absent from the field.
3: That's a really interesting point that somebody made Mm -hmm. uh, on the day of the election when I was still wrongly saying that Roy Moore is going to win um, is that Roy Moore didn't really have any kind of infrastructure or any no. kind of campaign or no. anything he didn't whereas think, Doug he, he Jones didn't think, had something organized.
1: He didn't think he needed it because yeah, right. because it was in the hands of God.
7: All right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think this is a problem. God sure. is my
3: campaign manager. <laughs> mm, yeah.
7: You know, you see this laziness every time that there's a, you know, a party that has complete control over a state and then, you yes, know, something yes. will happen and they'll say, oh, shoot, we we've, you know, taking our eye off the ball here.
1: But you know, and and Donald Trump did more for Donald for Roy Moore than I have seen any president for any candidate. Certainly, I mean, he went all out for Roy Moore, right? I mean, he tweeted about him constantly, attacked Doug Jones in his tweets constantly as the puppet of Nancy and Chuck and all that kind. Of, and how bad he was going to be for tax cuts and for crime and abortion and all those things. He went down to Pensacola, which was really. <laughs> might as well have been Alabama because the people who were there were from Alabama, deliberately invited the Roy Moore people in and said at that rally, you must go out and vote for Roy Moore. And No votes about it. And then he did the robocall, right? I mean, he could not have done more for Roy Moore than he did, right? So yeah, it, his mean- fingerprints, I mean, it's all over that Roy Moore loss, which for Donald Trump, as we pointed out earlier. So I ask you, what does this mean? I mean, think about Donald Trump. Governor of New Jersey, she didn't really have a chance, right? But he supported her; she loses. Mm-hmm. Ed Gillespie in Virginia, he supports her; he loses. Luther Strange in the primary, he supports; he loses. And now Roy Moore. It's not what a, a track, track record, record. right? Yeah.
7: Right, yeah. No, I mean, I think that I think it's <laughs> you know, it's a big deal that Trump is not able to turn out the Republican Party. Uh, when he's not on the ticket. And you know, it's, I think it's also sends a signal that maybe a lot of people aren't, you know, especially moderate Republicans aren't sort of like hanging on Trump's every word here. They're uh, you know, his approval is low, <laughs> um, even for Republicans. And I think that it you know, I think I'm sure among his like most steadfast rep- supporters, you know, his endorsement certainly helps. Uh, But more broadly, it does not appear to be enough. And I think that's a big problem for Republicans going forward. And, you know, again, if his uh, popularity is is waning and continues to wane, that's just going to drag, you know, every Republican candidate down.
1: One of the things that's uh, surprised me the most about the exit polls. So this is this from Alabama, uh, the Senate race on Tuesday. This is a state that Donald Trump won by 28 points. And people were asked, what do you think of the job Donald Trump is doing? It was 48-48 in Alabama among Republicans, among Roy Moore voters, 48 percent like what Donald Trump is doing, 48 percent don't. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, I of- think.
7: I think – I think the key in Alabama, I mean, there was there were a couple of them. I think that, you know, Democratic energy and the fact that African-American voters really turned out to support was what clinched this. But a lot of Republicans just stayed home, you know. And so I think, you know, a lot of moderate Republicans, the ones who, who aren't very pleased with Donald Trump right now, I just think they didn't show up.
1: Well, if they didn't stay, you're right, if, but if they didn't stay home, a surprising number of them wrote in somebody else. You know that we've we been talking about this. This was not an organized write-in campaign. Now Richard Shelby said, and I think Richard Shelby, by the way, played an important role here at the very end when he said, "I, I could never that's vote. Right. I could never vote for Roy Moore. I wrote somebody else in." I think they gave a lot of people the idea of, "Well, that's what I'll do." But without an organized campaign to get almost two percent of the voters to write in. Somebody. We don't know who. We will know who, right? Didn't you say Peter? Yeah,
7: Alabama.
3: Alabama Alabama has a new law that that actually went into effect this year that the write in votes will find out who was written in. So, you know, if if it was Luther Strange or if it was Nick Saban, the head (laughs) coach of the football team, we'll know.
1: And um and by the way I just, I want, just want to make it out. clear that if elected I will serve. <laughs> that's right.
3: uh, it, it, it should be pointed out that the number of write-in <laughs> votes were bigger than the gap that Roy Moore lost by. So the write-in votes conceivably could have swayed right. the election.
7: Yeah, I'm going to throw a tiny bit of cold water in that, which is mm-hmm. just to say uh, for whatever reason a lot of times when people go vote they write in the candidate that's on the ballot
3: Oh, interesting. Really? Yes. Especially because, so
7: in Alabama, the ballots can be a little bit confusing because you can choose to vote by party and then by candidate. So it's, I think, I'm sure there are a lot of other names on there. I'm sure a lot of the names are Doug Jones and Roy Moore. Sure. Um, But so, but it still could be, you know. If those are only a couple hundred, yeah, yeah, then yeah, it could yeah, yeah. make the difference. It could ultimately be that they didn't make the difference. Right
3: yeah. now, given Do those a, votes count, by the way. Like if you write in Roy Moore when oh, Roy yeah. Moore, I imagine that's yeah. What, what
7: are you like a vote suppressor here? I was <laughs> <I'm> just <laughs> throwing curious. out tables. Ballots? I was just curious. I just
3: didn't know. I just didn't know if that still counted. Like yeah, if it's yeah. on the ballot and then you still write it
1: in. If yeah,
7: it's yeah. Count. You just it just takes them a little longer okay, right, to, right. to get there.
1: Of course, he's a vote suppressor. <laughs> he's, yeah, from, duh. he's from South Carolina. <laughs> yeah.
7: Um, yeah. I hear groaning. In the studio uh, right I now. I just want Nick Saban to
3: actually, I want them to, have to redo this and Nick Saban actually wins. Okay? Is that crazy? All right.
1: All right. Now, um, look, Roy Moore was, uh, in a sense, for a Democrat, with all of his baggage, the ideal candidate to run against. But is there still anything with that victory that Democrats can feel good about, maybe feel better about 2018 because of what happened in Alabama?
7: Oh, absolutely. I mean- Even with all of the extraordinary baggage that Roy Moore brought with him, I mean, the people I talked to in the state said no way this thing would even be close if it wasn't for a high degree of Democratic energy. And I think I think you saw that. I saw I saw it in Virginia and I'm seeing it again here is that you have a lot of Democrats worrying going into the election because they they don't think the enthusiasm is there and they're second guessing their campaign strategy and they're not sure what's going to happen. And then there's just a huge amount of turnout. And it's like, it's almost like you don't need them to be at the rally. Like, they're just going to show up. And so, you know, I think that they realized that in Virginia, and this was an affirmation that that that's the case, that even if, you know, people aren't going around talking about it all the time, everyone is silently to themselves thinking, yeah, I'm going to show up and vote.
1: You know, that's a very good point. And it is so true. We here, like, (laughs) before Virginia, right? It wasn't just here, but... Uh, uh, Democrats that I talked to, and of course, we're so close to Virginia, right? There's a lot of talk about what's going on. Everybody was bemoaning the fact that the Democrats didn't have their stuff together. Ralph Northam was a terrible candidate. There was no ground operation, right? We were going to blow a chance to hold on to the state. And look what happened. I mean, Northam just crushed Ed Gillespie. And the Democratic turnout, or the turnout, was enormous. Mm -hmm. And the same... Thing played in Alabama.
7: Yeah, and and the thing same is,
1: talk, right?
7: No one has gone. we guilty back as anybody that I know of has has gone back and been like, we didn't realize at the time, but Ralph Northam actually ran the best campaign we've ever seen. Like, no, everyone just assumed everyone just thinks he ran like a middling campaign, which he did, and that it ultimately didn't matter because this is, you know, unless something drastically changes, this is a year when Democrats are going to go to the polls in very big numbers. And they're overwhelming Republicans.
1: And you know, uh, with with uh, Doug Jones, we were all paying so much attention to Roy Moore that the idea was that Jones wasn't doing anything. Well, he was. He was building a pretty impressive ground operation down there.
7: Yeah, you know, I particularly
1: with the help of the African American community. But you know, Randall Woodford, the, woodfin the new mayor, and yeah, um, across the board. Yeah, but, I think that kind of and paid off big time.
7: His campaign. Um, in, for Birmingham mayor a few months ago was uh, by all accounts uh, just one of the best campaigns ran mm-hmm. in a long time and I think people saw that as a preview of what could happen uh, for, for Doug Jones and I'm, I'm sure it, you know, it helped sort of organize that city which is of course you know, in the biggest most populous county in the state and where a lot of African American voters and Democratic voters are
1: Alright, so um, does this mean Democrats take back the Senate in 2018?
7: I think it means that they actually have a chance now Uh, You know, before they were going to have to win, say, Tennessee uh, Mm -hmm. or, you know, a state that, that you know, barring a terrible Roy Moore-like candidate. But now they just need Nevada and Arizona. And they also need to hold on to some some seats that are going to be hard to hold on to, you know, places like North Dakota, West Virginia, Indiana. Uh, But, hey, if they can hold on to those seats... Uh, then I think that they actually have a real shot. And, you know, before this, it was really hard to see.
1: So the most imp
3: A year ago, we were all saying this oh, wasn't yeah. going to happen.
1: Oh, no, no. A year right.
3: ago, we were—I mean, nobody would have
1: if said If you that. said a year ago that Democrats had a—even what you just said, a good shot, people would laugh at you, right? Oh, yeah. But yeah. now—but so with the Democrats, the, the, the challenging seats to hold on to— you, you mentioned, I think, Indiana, West Virginia, Missouri, and... North Dakota. North Dakota, right.
7: Yeah. You know, all of those uh, places but they're have looking, strong candidates.
1: They do have strong candidates, strong incumbents, and they're looking better and better, I think, right? And yeah, then I mean, the, the, on the Republican side, the vulnerable seats, Arizona, Nevada, and now suddenly Tennessee is open. Yes. With Phil Bradenson, the former governor, Democratic governor, running for that seat. So that really does put in play. And we have Alabama. We've never expected, right, right? Are there any other possible pickups?
7: No, the only thing I I mm-hmm. now feel is a l-
1: absent new resignation. More yeah, resignation. you know, I was gonna so, say
7: I, I we now you know Al Franken was a strong candidate, and now we're gonna have a, an election in twenty eighteen in Minnesota. But if it's a strong Democratic year, I think that that's probably a pretty safe Democratic seat. Although even though there's a bit of an now. And if Tina right seat
1: now, is if Tina, well. Yeah. If she She's, runs again. If she yeah. runs again, that's right. She, first of, she,
3: she, she plans to in 2018.
1: Really? Yeah. I thought she had said she was, would not. I don't know. I've, I've now thought, seen I, that I she seen will that.
7: also, but from all accounts this is they haven't exactly picked the strongest candidate to fill this yeah. seat. Uh, you know.
3: She will run in 2018. Okay. That's what they say. That's what she says. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah. I still want to point out uh, Al Franken has to resign first before she be, <laughs>
7: Yeah. <laughs> before yeah. she
1: gets her seat could he change his mind?
7: Well, sure. I don't. I mean, he he said one thing. I guess he could say another. I think it would be a a sort of odd bait and switch, especially since Roy Moore lost. I think if you saw Roy Moore coming into the Senate, you know, I I could see a little more argument for that. But right now, you know, Democrats have the higher ground on this issue. And, uh, you know, I think that that's ground that they really meaningfully want to stake out. And I think it would cause a lot of problems in that caucus if he came back and said, actually, you know, I'm staying. Uh, You know, I think, you know, the both men and women in the Senate who came out and said that he needed to go, you know, it doesn't make any sense for them to be able to turn around and accept him back in now.
1: And um, you said that uh, Roy Moore's loss uh, gives Democrats a little better shot at the Senate. Is that true of the House as well?
7: Yeah, it it is just because it shows you know the democratic energy right now and the fact that republicans are not turning out in the numbers that they would need. Uh, but one of the things that uh, I wrote about yesterday and that's been going around on the internet is uh, someone at uh, crunched the numbers and found that when you look at Alabama by congressional district, Doug Jones won the entire state, but he only won one of seven congressional districts. Uh, oh wow! Yeah. So so Alabama is so gerrymandered that you can win the popular vote in only one seat in the House. And, you know, that's pretty extreme. But there are other extreme gerrymanders in this country. And so, you know, that's why when you look at Democrats chances of taking the House, you're saying, you know, they don't just have to win that popular Mm -hmm. vote by Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one point or five points. It's got to be like eight points or 10 points to overcome those gerrymanders. So I absolutely think is a good sign for Democrats, uh, but I think that there's a lot of uh, structural problems that are working against them.
1: Right. So it's Mother Jones, motherjones.com, where you can follow the good work of Pamela Levy, David Korn, and all the rest of the gang down there. Uh, say hello to everybody, and thank you so much for coming in today. Um, we're going to take a quick break. Before we do, I just want to point out again, uh, things are getting close for that Christmas shopping. Uh, couldn't do better than a hand-woven Carol Press scarf, like the one I'm wearing today. This is a rayon chenille. If you go to our website at billpressshow.com uh, and follow the link to the Carol Press scarves, you will be in business. Lots of different colors and patterns to uh, to choose from. Uh, make a great holiday gift for yourself or for someone uh, you love. Carol's very busy, uh, following f- filling orders and sending out scarves. So get in line and again uh, check out the website today for your own handwoven rayon chenille or bamboo scarf from Carol Press. And uh, we will take a quick break. Pamela Levy, thanks so much for coming in.
7: Thank you for
1: having me. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. All right. We'll see you early in 2018. Uh, Joe Cirincione joins us next from the Plowshares oh, yeah, remember Fund. Remember that we
3: might all uh, get blown away by North Korea. There's still that, so there, we should talk to Joe about there
1: that. There is that. <laughs> yeah, we kind of get so wrapped up in Roy Moore that we forget about <clears throat> Donald Trump bringing us to the brink of a nuclear war in North Korea. Joe Cirincione is joining us from the Plowshares Fund. Coming up next, quick break. We'll be right back.
2: same great show new great channel stream live video at youtube.com slash the bill press show
1: and here we are on this uh, thursday thursday december 14 uh, it is the bill press show great to see you today joining us here in studio our good friend joe sir back from oslo norway uh where he was there uh joe with the plowshares fund of course they're helping celebrate the Nobel Peace Prize for nuclear disarmament. Or, yes. Or, yeah. International Joe, campaign. good to again. see you.
6: Pleasure to be here. Uh,
1: her name again? Beatrice Finn. Beatrice accepted. Finn.
6: She's the executive director of the International Campaign Against Nuclear Weapons. Who was
1: of, in studio with us here. Yeah. Uh, and, she's dynamite. Uh, she is absolute dynamite, right? Yeah. How many organizations are in, and she's got a coalition of,
6: it's a network of over 400 groups in over Whoa. 100 countries and they're all campaigning to eliminate nuclear weapons. and that's why they gave them the prize.
1: Well, so what was what is it like a Nobel Peace Prize ceremony?
6: Unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it, and it goes on for several days. So the ceremony itself is a big deal for Oslo, for Norway, rather relatively small country. Oh, yeah. 95 yeah. percent um, of all the people who have received the Peace Prize have been men. So this was a, a rarity. Have two women who accepted it, uh, Beatrice Finn and her colleague, uh, uh, a survivor of Hiroshima. Mm,
5: very dramatic, mm.
6: terrific speeches, uh, standing ovations, very rare. Usually these are rather sedate things. Mm-hmm. Then a beautiful state banquet. I wore my black tie. I wore my scarf. I, it was great. The king and queen were there. I went to a lot of meetings that began with uh, your, your royal majesties, your excellencies, and oh then my. ladies and gentlemen. Oh, and wow. then a rock concert headed by John Legend, 10,000 people in a oh big God. arena, leaping to their feet in support of eliminating nuclear weapons. Did you, Quite lear- a Did you learn to curtsy to the... <laughs> I the didn't. Green? There was none of that. It's oh, a very no. democratic monarchy. Oh,
1: oh, good. that's good. And I mean, it, it, this was a big, uh, this is big for the movement, isn't it? Right? The issue of nuclear disarmament. Yeah. It to is. have this they, recognition
6: yes they have revived this issue they out of nowhere this group came and came and mm-hmm. managed to convince 120 countries to endorse a treaty banning nuclear weapons first time this has ever happened we have treaties that prohibit biological and chemical and they mm-hmm. said why not nuclear the most destructive yeah. of all right and they did it and that's what got them the prize not just the sentiment but the achievement of getting this ban treaty—none of the nuclear-armed states have signed it yet, including the United States, including Norway, which is a, a NATO ally, hmm. which is what made the politics of this so interesting oh, inside right. in Norway.
1: So Norway has not signed it.
6: Correct. Okay. None of the NATO states who benefit from the U.S. nuclear umbrella have have signed it yet. The U.S. campaigned against that, both under Obama and mm-hmm. uh, under Trump. So Trump didn't. Uh, Obama didn't like this treaty either. But these guys—they're persistent. They're young. They're diverse. They're global. Go, go look them up. Uh, it's nuclearban.org. Nuclearban.org. Nuclearband.org. nuclearband.org.
1: Nuclear and again, There's Beatrice was here in studio, yeah. and I was so—we were all so impressed by her. As you know, uh, at one time I worked for Governor Jerry Brown. Yes. Uh, his first term as governor of California, and one of his big issues—he's got two big issues today with one more year uh in office as governor of California before he's termed out uh, one is climate change where he is the world leader on climate change um uh, I, I believe today and mm-hmm. um and the other is nuclear disarmament yeah. and you know every time i talk to Jerry about it you know he says why aren't more people talking about this why aren't we doing yeah. more about it he yeah. sees it as one of the most important issues, critical issues, facing the planet.
6: And he's right. One of the two threats that can yeah. really cause destruction on why a not Why aren't
1: more people talking well, about it?
6: Well, ICANN has helped change that. They've got people talking <laughs> about it. They, they've sort of forced it on the stage. I'm, they're a small organization. We Plowshares Fund has given them uh, a grant, a couple of grants to help mm-hmm. them, but not enough. We've got to do more. And so uh, this is a good point. Next time Beatrice comes, I'll, I'll see if I can get her to go to California and meet with Jerry Brown. I think he'd enjoy that. He'd come here to she, meet with her. she's yeah. she's right up his, his, uh, his yeah. alley. She's no. right in that space that he wants: civil activism, so uh, getting what, ordinary people to campaign about this. So
1: maybe again, because we don't talk about there was a time when, you know, duck and cover people, nuclear weapons were sort of like the number one issue people were talking about. So a lot of people. Watching today, listening today, may not understand what is the reality and what is the threat of nuclear weapons today. It's
6: funny, I'm, I'm writing an article on the five nuclear threats that we had oh. in 2017 are going to carry oh. over. <laughs> yeah, and the first is that we're in a nuclear arms race. All the nuclear armed states are building more nuclear weapons. Some are adding to their arsenals, like India and Pakistan and North Korea, and some are just replacing the weapons like that us. are wearing out. Yes, we should let these weapons gracefully retire but instead we're building at a cost of 1.7 trillion dollars robbing our social programs to build nuclear weapons we're going to build new bombers missiles um, over the next 3 decades and this is dangerous threat number 4 it's not just the nu- the, con- the weapons it's the but, kinds but, but of but weapons just to interrupt Go, you stop for a, a second with life.
1: Uh, no, but it is on that rebuilding our nuclear arsenal Right, where Donald Trump reportedly said at a meeting at the Pentagon about this, yeah, he wanted 10 times as many That's exactly as right. we have today. Yeah, exactly. Not just, let's not just replace. Let's multiply by 10.
6: Yeah, that's why Secretary Tillerson said he was a bleeping Idiot. moron. Moron, <laughs> moron. Yeah, remember yeah that, right. that was the genesis of it. Yeah. And, of course, Trump, a year ago in December, told Mika Brzezinski, let it be an arms race. That is the one promise he's kept. He Mm -hmm. is accelerating our nuclear arms program. So I didn't mean So that's okay. Number four is some of the weapons that people want to build are new, more usable nuclear weapons. So you have a push by people like Tom Cotton in the Senate, and this is in the defense authorization bill uh, that the president signed in December, new, more useful weapons shrinking, uh, uh, practically eliminating the fire break between conventional and nuclear. This is very risky business. Russia's doing the same. Pakistan's doing the same. Threat number three on our hit list has got to be the possibility that the Iran deal could be scuttled by the president. Mm This will be coming up in early January. He has to certify it. In effect, it's
1: already been scuttled by throwing it to the Senate or to the Congress, right?
6: Well, that's the interesting part. He he didn't certify that Iran was in compliance. He opened this window for the Senate to kill the deal. The Senate didn't kill the deal. Mm-hmm. December twelfth, the deadline came and went. Oh, got it. Yeah, boy, de- that went. The quietly, Democrats didn't held it? firm. Yes yeah. C- again, civic activism. Myself mm-hmm. and a lot of our groups were pushing the senators and Republicans and Democrats not to kill the deal, and they didn't. But the president has another shot come January, so we're all worried that this could be it. Uh, could could be it. Threat number two on the things you have to worry about in twenty eighteen, North Korea. We are drifting towards war. Drifting towards war, uh, mixed signals from the White House and the Secretary but of State. it's North
1: Korea, and it's our attitude toward North Korea, right? Yes. It's both. Both. Yeah. Both. yeah. So
3: we, I, I think we're, we're in this interesting time where it, we don't necessarily look at North Korea as the sole aggressor, you know, or other countries as the sole aggressor that we have to defend ourselves because like, we've been pretty aggressive towards North Korea, but with our rhetoric.
6: Well, and uh, increased uh, military drill. Sure, oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. So is, yeah. That, yeah. is that supposed to be signaling, <laughs> you know, a sign of strength? You better deal with this or else. Or is it preparations for war? And I, for one, feel the winds of war blowing through Washington. I am concerned that people think that there is a military solution to this. Well, there clearly is not.
1: That several people have said that, Right. I mean, crazies like John
6: Bolton and others, right? Uh, but, John Bolton, Tom uh, Cotton, Lindsey Graham. Cotton. Let yes. there be a the war even over ins- there, he says. Yeah, right. Sure, two million will die, but they'll right. die over there. This kind of, really? Well, yeah. I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were, no. no. Oh, yeah, and Tom Cotton
1: is being talked about as the next head of the CIA. Yes. John Bolton was in the White House meeting with the president yes. this week. Yeah. You know what? No, I mean, these guys are people who have influence. Yeah, us.
6: yeah, there is, and and the and you know what you have to worry about with this president is not just you know whether there'll be a neoconservative um, you know influence in the administration, Bolton-like, but also the impetuousness of the president, his ignorance about national security issues. Does he even know what happened in the Korean War in in, in the fifties? And of course, his impulsive nature. He may just decide that it's time to go and. I don't think there's anybody in this administration that can stop them.
1: I don't know that you've been in since uh, North Korea's latest or last big missile test. Uh, I mean, that one had a range and a strength greater than any that they've done before, right? This is a
6: serious missile. This is not your grandfather's nuclear missile program. This is an amazing missile. surprised a lot of us with its sophistication, its power. It can reach anywhere in North America. Anywhere in North America. But so we're not strange. just talking the West Coast now. We're talking Mar-a-Lago. This thing could hit Mar-a-Lago. It could hit, goes as far as Jamaica, Cuba. It's, it could hit Washington with a very large warhead, with the hydrogen bomb, maybe with multiple warheads and decoys. This thing can defeat any known missile defense system. So even if you thought a missile defense system works, which it does not, it won't be able to defeat this kind of threat. So they got it. They got it. It's not quite perfected. You know, they'd like to probably do, do a have few the, more tests. Do they have the nuke that can fit on top of it to deliver it? This missile is so large that you don't really have to miniaturize it. You can see the pictures of it. You see Kim Jong Un standing right next to this yeah. monster missile, and you right. can fit a lot. Mo- most warheads are like person size. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can fit a lot of Kim Jong Un's into the nose cone of this missile. Oh, Jesus.
1: Ooh, ooh. Yeah. Uh, so this is, th- and th- this just wasn't one of the classic North Korean missiles that went up and crashed into the ocean. I mean, this this was a successful test. Wasn't yeah,
6: it? this was quite successful. It uh, flew for over fifteen minutes. It went uh, over uh, three thousand miles high before coming down. They did a lofted trajectory, so it went as high as the U.S. is wide. You know, it uh, went, flew ten times as high as the space mm. station up up there. Now this was a very very and the rockets, the technology more advanced than anything they've done. Now, they don't have these in serial production yet. Normally, you'd want three, four more tests. They've paused right now. So there's an opening for diplomacy. Uh, Rex Tillerson said just recently that we should drop preconditions. He's willing to talk to the North Koreans anytime, anywhere. That's a very good thing, a change in the US position. But anytime an official says something, you start the co- countdown clock, two, three, one. Sure enough, the White House contradicted him. Yeah. Said, so, right. no, there's no change in policy. Even his own spokesperson and tweeted out, there's no change in policy. So you have this incoherence in the administration that's part of the drift to war.
1: And it's generally believed that uh, Rex Tillerson will be out of there by the end of the year or s- soon thereafter.
6: So, so whatever he says, is he a dead man walking? Yeah. Is, he, yeah. is this real? You just don't know. What the, it's. You know, if this was a normal administration, <clears throat> excuse me, Whatever he said would have been vetted. It would have been cleared. This would have been part of a policy that was being rolled out. But this administration is like none other.
1: Uh, And the first threat, I think we stopped at two, which was North Korea.
6: Right. So we had the arms race, the new types of nuclear weapons, Iran, North Korea. But the number one threat to the United States, Donald Trump. Because you have a president of the United States that might actually do this, that has the power to launch a nuclear weapon whenever he wants, for whatever reason he wants. And unlike other presidents, you now have uh, two other factors playing in to this mental instability. You, uh, you, well, you have two other factors playing in. One is his mental stability, mm-hmm. you know, just how crazy is he? So you always have to be evaluating that. And the other factor is the, the R factor, the Russia investigation. As this intensifies, is he, does he try to change the subject? Is the shiny object he throws up this time uh, a war? To get people to focus on something else, so this is this is serious. Uh, uh, they, we, they even spoke about it at the Nobel Peace Prize ceremony. They had the, head of the mm. Norwegian committee talked about. We, you know, that, that an unstable individual mm. could come to be in command and control of the nuclear armed ar- arsenal in any nation. But everybody knew who she was talking about.
1: And um, part of this is this crazy process, which you and I have talked about um that one person makes a decision yeah within five to eight ten minutes or whatever
6: <clears throat> people don't believe uh, us when we tell them this yeah that uh, that uh, the president uh, has sole authority to launch the nuclear weapons he doesn't need a conference he doesn't need to consult with any cabinet official he doesn't need the approval or the okay of the secretary of defense or the secretary of state right he can talk directly to the military command the military command cannot deny the order as long as it is a legal Congress, order. No, Congress not involved at all. No no consultations, not even with the, the, the Speaker of the House. Donald the Trump has
1: any understanding of the power, right, that he could unleash with even a so-called tactical nuclear weapon?
6: During the uh, impeachment uh, proceedings that were beginning against Richard Nixon, he was trying to impress his... Uh, Uh, how much power he had. And he told people, I can walk into my office, pick up the phone, and 30 minutes later, 70 million people will be dead. So presidents understand this. I think Trump understands the power that he has. And what you're worried about is as these investigations intensify, does he try to use that power as a threat, uh, as a diversion, We've, we, it's uncharted territory. We've we've never been here. There are a mem- number of bills that people are trying yeah, to push. Yeah, I was going in. to ask,
1: ask you that next. If there is there any effort to try to curtail that? I mean, I, I, I can understand that you want the po- president to have the power to respond to a real yes. threat against the United States at the same time.
6: Right. So nobody's talking about stopping that if we were under attack. If we're under attack, the president would have to respond very quickly. Uh, I would argue that, that he shouldn't, but people can disagree. But to go first, to launch a nuclear weapon first, that's where the, the effort is. And you have people like Senator Markey teaming up with uh, Ted Lieu, uh, an, an, a veteran from California, to inter, in, with a lot of sponsors on a bill to give that power to Congress. Mm-hmm. If you're going to go to war, Congress should declare it, even if it's a nuclear war, the most important war of all. You have others like Representative Adam Smith, the ranking Democrat on the House Armed Services Committee, just introduced a bill, and he's looking for co-sponsors to say we should never go first. The policy of the United States is not to use a nuclear weapon first. Right. Very reasonable policy. People have been pushing that for years. Obama almost did it, but then chickened out, fell short. George W. Bush almost did it, um, but then then did not in resistance from the nuclear bureaucracy. And this, as other senators and, and members are looking at the, those kinds of options, some people talk about a dual key. You know, on every level of the nuclear command and control, requires two officers to turn the key to, to launch, except at the top. And people are saying, well, why not? Why not have... A, right. a, a, you
3: know, there, there are a lot <clears throat> of things to kind of freak out about these days. And whenever we talk to you, I always get a little more freaked out, frankly. Um, I'm sorry I... no, no no it's alright <laughs> but, it, but it's, it also drives home this is a point I've made with you before when you come on the show that you know a lot of that stuff where you say Bar- Barack Obama almost went that yeah, far I but know. then backed out of it right well we don't have Barack Obama's president anymore and you might feel comfortable with your guy in charge but what happens when you get a guy like Donald Trump
6: Right. Exactly.
3: or who knows what else is on the horizon you know there are a lot of People who see that Donald Trump made it, and they'll probably feel like they could probably make it to the presidency, too. And who knows?
6: You know, a lot of our uh, policies, a lot of our practices have been based on this idea of norms. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you've seen a lot of those shattered by Donald Trump. And that, in, that includes nuclear. I mean, no one actually anticipated we'd have a president like this. Even though we had the experience with Nixon in the last few weeks of his presidency, nobody anticipated this. Mm. Well, we should have. You know, we should have. And so that's part of the pressure for changing it. Maybe we can't change it while this man is still in office. And maybe we'll be lucky and we'll be he'll be removed from office before the four years. So then we got to get ready for what the policy should be. Now is the time to be looking at this situation and deciding what should our policy should be so that the, the, the fate of the Earth, is not under the control of one deranged individual.
1: Right. Um, have there have any countries agreed to a no first strike
6: um, pledge? Yeah, China for example has that pledge. Uh, India has that pledge. Uh, Russia has that pledge although they yeah. Uh, yeah. you know it's always a pledge.
1: Right. But that's right.
6: that that is a good firebreak. The pledge in and of itself is a good firebreak. You you'd, you'd have to go back on your word and and that the, and the, the, the new guess, arms do matter,
1: yeah, yeah, the value is that it does establish that to be the one to initiate a nuclear war is wrong, yeah, and dangerous,
6: yes. You're right. They could violate
1: the pledge, but at least they recognize that, and that's what has some moral authority. These weapons are
6: like none other. They they indiscriminately kill hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children in the most horrible ways possible. These these, these weapons don't keep us safe. They are our ultimate threat. And so by saying you're not going to use them first, you're saying we're only going to use them under the most extreme circumstances, that is, if you attack us. Do we have more than anybody else? The U.S. and Russia are about equal. We have about seven thousand in, in each arsenal. Everybody else accounts uh, their weapons in dozens, uh, a couple of hundred weapons. Uh, Israel has about a hundred. India and Pakistan about one hundred and twenty. France is the one who comes closest, actually, with but only three hundred and fifty. Um, so three hundred and fifty uh, weapons. Uh, UK has about 200, 250. China. About 200, 250. We're the ones with the thousands of weapons, a good 5,000 in our active stockpile, same with Russia, plus another 2,000 in, in reserves.
1: And where are they? On subs? Uh, in you know, mis- missile silos? Yeah, this or? is
6: one of the problems. They're, they're hidden. We don't see our nuclear weapons. They're, they're buried in silos under the great plains still, of the United still, States. North yeah. Dakota, Montana, Colorado, Wyoming, Nebraska. They're in submarines that prowl under the world's oceans. They're stored at bases with bombers in North Dakota and and, uh, a couple of other bases. Uh, So we don't see them. They're not... So we we think they're gone. They're not there. But but they could destroy the planet within 30 minutes. Right. We could Uh, drop... If we used every weapon in our arsenal, we would drop a hydrogen bomb on every city in the planet with a population over 100,000. We could wipe out... Every vestige of human civilization in about thirty minutes.
1: And for Donald Trump, that's not good enough. We need to do. We need ten times that power. And yeah. a
6: lot of people in the Senate agree to it. They, they, we're in an arms race. We are building more and better nuclear weapons.
1: Um, so we've talked a lot about Sorry. the the danger and the risk of Donald Trump uh, having all of that authority. How much did Barack Obama do? to reduce our dependency on nuclear weapons while he was in the White House.
6: Well, you know, this is where I thought you were going, Peter. It's like he, he, Obama meant well. Yeah. He had, and I was a big fan of his, and when he gave his, his speech on in April 2009. No more nuclear weapons. Right. We, a la- world without and, nuclear and weapons. And he laid out a plan. It was a good plan. It was a good principle. It was the most ambitious plan a president ha- ever had. But then he, he only fulfilled part of it. Yeah. And by December 2010, when he got this limited treaty, the, what they call the New START treaty, that was the last treaty that reduced U.S. and, and Russian weapons, um, he kind of he's kind of ended it there, and, and he didn't see it through, and he didn't make the kinds of policy changes that a president can just make. You don't even need agreement to say we're going to take our weapons off a of hair trigger mm-hmm. alert. We're not going to let anybody launch them within in, within uh, uh, four minutes. Of an order, you know. Let's yeah. let's let's in, let's increase the firebreak. I, I no longer require this type of weapon. He could he could have done that. and He didn't, and that teaches us a lesson. God damn it! The next time we're in a position, let's let's just go do what we do know is right. Yeah. yeah. Let's yeah. not hesitate and let's compromise. Let's not be also... like Democrats, like always we say, "Well, I don't want to be seen as weak on defense." Do what you know is right because the future of the planet depends on it.
1: Yeah. And by the way, he also gave the order to. Started This rebuilding of our nuclear fleet, correct? That's
6: exactly right. In order to get agreement Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. pass this relatively modest nuclear reduction treaty, he agreed to fully fund all the new nuclear weapons programs. Now, they didn't think they were ever going to have to do that. They thought they were going to come up with another treaty that was going to make it cancel it. But they put the money in the pipeline. And once that started flowing, man, that's when everything went to hell. There was no other treaty. And you get the money, you get the, the, the unions pushing for jobs, you get the chambers of commerce wanting to keep their bases. Absolutely. You get the contractors, yeah. Raytheon, Lockheed, Northrop Grumman. And you can't turn that thing off, and that's where we are now. We got a 1.7 trillion dollar modernization program. Nice name, right? Yeah, Modernization, right. which means new weapons that can blow up the planet. And if
1: a 1.7 <clears throat> trillion over here for new yeah. nukes, 1.5 trillion over here for some tax cuts. It's like we've got money to burn right yeah which we don't
6: yeah exactly
1: right. Right. irresponsible and dangerous Joseph, you're our man on the front lines on this great issue thank you so much for your thank leadership you, there and thanks for coming in and All happy right. new year See my us. friend no matter See what we just said <laughs>